G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you again on the tail end of a lockdown. Yeah, exactly. Which, uh, look, Dad, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chat with you today, and I must admit, not necessarily even just as a presenter for today's podcast. This is one of the rare opportunities where I get to call upon your expertise and and ask a few questions that I must admit are a little bit more relevant to how I have been feeling recently. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes, but um, certainly it's a pretty tough time for a lot of people at the moment, isn't it, especially in Melbourne? Yeah, very much so. And, and look, it is, you know, this far into the pandemic, I'm sure there'll be many people out there who are feeling the same. And it's something where six months ago, if we were to have a conversation about this, I would have said, you know, oh, Dad, look, I'm over it at this point. And I remember us having a conversation almost exactly like that, where I was saying, look, Dad, I'm over it. And this was a couple of lockdowns ago now. But you pulled me up on that. And the more that we discussed it, I thought, actually, that's a, a very fair point on why you pulled me up on that language. So do you want to just give us a bit of an insight into why you think it's not very good to use those terms? Okay, well, a core thing about our psychological functioning and our well-being is it really comes down to how we perceive situations, how we view situations. It gets back to Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher who said, man is not disturbed by things, but by his view of them. Or then there was Shakespeare who said, there is nothing either good nor bad, except thinking makes it so. So it gets down to, it's not so much the situation itself, but how we perceive it that's going to make the difference. And that comes back to our language. How do we describe a situation to ourselves? How do we construe it? And so I think that's the downside of if we tell ourselves, I'm over it, we're kind of portraying the situation as being one in which we're helpless. It's like saying, look, I've got nothing left. I don't know how to deal with this. You know, just I've really run out of ideas and puff. I've been flattened by this now. It's almost like that. Now, it's understandable to have the feeling, oh, look, look, I'm over this. I've had enough of this. I wish it wasn't happening, that kind of thing. And so at that level, yeah, I might take it lightly too if someone says, oh, look, I'm over it. You can see it as a figure of expression. But I think we have to watch out a bit too because sometimes it can become a little bit more than a just a a figure of speech that's just in passing, like if we're struggling with prolonged stress, such as repeated lockdowns or disappointments or ongoing stress for whatever reason, if we've got a bit of a mantra developing, like I'm over it, I'm over it, or some other more negatively toned idea, then there's a downside to that because we're kind of programming our outlook. So I think that there's a big difference between the tone of, I'm over it compared to, look, this is really, really tough. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through the next few weeks or whatever. But we'll see how it goes. I have before. We'll see how it goes. And in the meantime, I'm going to do what I can to make it easier for myself. It's got a different tone to it. That's what I would call more of a a coping approach rather than, say, a, a helpless approach. Well, it's an interesting one, and I, although I do, yeah, absolutely do agree with everything that you've said there, and and trying to avoid terms such as oh, "I'm over it" in that sort of sense. And look, I think that's where the timing of our last couple of podcast episodes was really good because it alluded to some of the importance of that, and obviously the implications that come from having a, a more positive mindset in that situation. But I suppose one of the things that I'm interested in talking to you about today is that having gone through the experience 
experience of doing those few episodes, recognising the importance of having a more positive mindset, particularly when you're in a situation like lockdown, a bit more restricted. To be honest, I found for me that wasn't enough. And notwithstanding the benefit that that provided in terms of, you know, I imagine I, you know, was a lot better than I would have been had I sat there the whole time thinking, you know, I'm over this and I'm over that. But at the end of the day, I think we do still need to look at some, whether it be systems that we can put in place from ourselves to ease things a little bit, whether we look to lighten the load in some ways in terms of that's a little bit what today's podcast is about. But I think it's a really important point that you're making there in terms of don't back ourselves into a corner with our language and say, look, you know, I'm, I am you know, in a really helpless situation now. But I think then we do need to recognise from that point what are the things that we need to do to lift our mood over a, a prolonged period of time of, for example, a couple of days? Yes, and I think that's a, a big thing, as you say, having some specific strategies is a big part of it. But um, th- th- let's look at another kind of um, mindset, if you like, or another kind of outlook, which I think could be really problematic. Just say if someone tells themselves, I should be functioning as I would normally function. While in a very unusually stressful situation of a prolonged pandemic where there can be times of, of like, well, the fourth Melbourne lockdown has gone for a couple of weeks. It was only one week in Geelong. We had it more lightly here and the ongoing restrictions are lighter and, and lightening quicker in Geelong than Melbourne. But... Um, I think one of the biggest problems is if people expect themselves to function as they otherwise would, if there weren't that prolonged stress. And that's what we would call a mastery approach, which I think is a trap. So again, if we contrast the different approaches, there's, if you like, a helpless approach, which is, I feel bad, this is really difficult, and I can't stand it. And it's a little bit of I'm over it kind of thinking. Then there's a coping approach, which is, I feel bad, and this is really tough but somehow I'll look to muddle my way through. And then you get a mastery approach, which is, oh, this isn't so tough, or I'm not finding it you know, that bad, despite the fact of struggling objectively in a number of ways, or otherwise telling oneself, oh, this shouldn't be so bad. I should be able to function just as efficiently and just be as bright and happy and, and, and chirpy and just all calm within myself no, that, that's not psychologically particularly healthy in my view. That would be setting oneself up for failure. That would be putting an extra load of pressure on oneself when, as you say, we're calling this episode lightening the load. It's kind of saying, hey, take the pressure off, cut some corners, give yourself some slack, make things a little bit easier for yourself to allow for the fact this has been prolonged ongoing stress which puts more than enough demands on us as it is We need to kind of adapt and compensate for that in some way. And I think it's interesting as well because I think the language that we use to even describe those sorts of feelings can be quite negatively connotated. We were having a conversation off air about an article that we read in the New York Times about the term languishing, which is a good way of almost describing that stage where it's not quite depression, it's not quite burnout, but you're certainly not thriving in that sense. And it was interesting as we were having a chat about it before because it's so interesting that the context in which we look at being in that situation seems to be about measuring it up to how we would be normally as opposed to how we could be if we were doing a lot worse, for example. So, like, for example, that article was talking about how so many people at the moment are languishing and are feeling a little bit down and maybe just not having the zest for life that they normally would. But at the same time, people are being 
much more resilient at the moment than they ever have in my lifetime in terms of a collective generalization in in that sense. So I think as well, if we can recognize the times that there are more stresses on us, it can help us to angle what we are doing to recognize that, look, it actually is difficult to do anything at the moment. And there are examples of people who aren't able to cope at all and so I think it's, it's something that needs to be recognised, the degree to which we are coping, even if it's not as much as we usually would. Yeah, look, I think that's a good point. And I think it just helps to acknowledge that collective struggle that people are having. And that's where that article, as you described, talked about languishing and for people to give themselves permission to find it harder to concentrate, to not feel so motivated, to not feel like bouncing out of bed, uh, to feel like uh, doing different kind of activities like spending longer watching Netflix or something like that and taking the pressure off, not being too bothered about it, that'll make sense. And we've talked about it in the past in terms of dealing with a malaise, you know, general malaise through the community through a previous lockdown. And there was a time we had a podcast called Fighting the Flat Feeling. So part of what we were looking to do is to acknowledge it's fair enough for people to have a flat feeling. And that's where I suppose that's another expression alongside languishing, if you like. I think languishing is slightly a more negative term than it need to be. But there again, it's not that different from saying a general malaise. But I think that's a descriptive term, a malaise, to say, look, it's natural that people are going to feel a lesser level of energy. It doesn't mean being fully depressed or something like that, just not having one's usual energy or interest or even finding it hard to be optimistic at times. That, that's all fair enough. And there was something else you said before that I think is really important about a whole lot of people all around the world. Well, everyone's going through a challenge in every country basically at the moment. Now... What might come out of that in three to five years' time? We actually don't know what might happen in terms of people's resilience. But when I think back to people who lived through the Great Depression and how I hear people describe from the generation who lived through the Great Depression, I understand them to be generally very resilient people, quite stoic, achieved massive amounts in building societies after the depression and all the rest of it. Also people who went through the wars or the Second World War. You know, I get a sense that there was a lot that people developed in terms of resourcefulness, a kind of stoic resourcefulness. And to tell the truth, I, I think our certainly Western culture, and I think in Australia and many other countries, I think that many countries culturally could have done with a bit of a boost of stoicism not in this way, wouldn't wish something would come up like that, but I think that we are going to see a bit more stoicism come into our long-term mindsets after ultimately getting through the later stages of this pandemic, and all pandemics do come to an end. Well, yeah, that's a really interesting one. And look, I must admit, I agree. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has done is changed our collective psychological literacy in that sense, in terms of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, as a society, we were very immature about the ways that we thought about mental health, about the stigma that we carried around mental health. And in the last year, everyone's learnt so much, even on their own individual level. Like, I just about don't know anyone who hasn't learnt something about themselves from the last year. And so to me, that, as you say, is a positive that comes out of it. And one, I suppose, principle that really comes to mind with that is, I think it was one of Isaac Newton's laws, isn't it? That every action has an equal and opposite reaction. 
And I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day who was in a, a really tough circumstance in terms of uh, not being able to visit a family member overseas who was in their last stages of life. And one thing that we were having a bit of a chat about is not being able to be there for that experience and, and go through that that is then going to inform the level of love that they feel for all of their family members throughout the rest of their life. And and these sort of negative feelings, they don't necessarily work in isolation. In terms of when we feel grief, it's accompanied by a profound sense of love for those people who are around us, for the person who may have passed. When we feel loss, there can be a profound sense of appreciation for what we do have. And to me, that's one thing that I think is potentially going to come out of this time is that everyone's going to have a real sense of the rich tapestry of life and how potentially even at times there can be so many negative emotions that come with that. But going forward, all that's going to do as a collective is inform the importance of the positive side of life. I think that's all very important what you're saying there and uh, what I take from that is that I think we're all going to get a further refined sense of meaning. What's important? What's important and what's not? And one example of that, I think, is when we look at, say, social media. Now, people will be posting funny videos and memes and things like that. But one thing I notice these days is everyone kind of knows that's a kind of helpful little fun, brief distraction. If you go back looking at a lot of social media things five years ago or whatever... I had the sense a lot of people are taking it as so much more important than it really is. There's so much stuff that's superficial and unimportant and all the rest of it, but it's kind of like now we kind of know it a bit more for what it is. We know what really does count, things like life and death, uh, people close to us being in danger, being restricted from the things that are really important for us. For some people, it's seeing loved ones. It might even be being able to keep a job, being able to travel or not. Well, that's a luxury when we can, but by the same token, that's something important to many people. So it refines our sense of priorities in a certain way. And, And I think that when we collectively come through this, that'll be a more general thing. And I'll just say as an aside on that, As we're talking about this, it reminds me there's something that I always found quite satisfying about working with people who've gone through significant trauma. So I'd work with a lot of people with post-traumatic stress. It might be people who'd gone through assaults or war veterans or people who had severe life-threatening car accidents, different kind of situations. And the thing I found from working with people who'd been through profound trauma is they all seem to have a refined sense of priorities, what's important and what's not. And I felt that just as a person, as well as a therapist, but interacting with those people, it helped me pick up a little bit more about what was important and what was not. Because that was the prism through which these people would see their everyday lives. Because things that weren't so important would just drop away And they'd be very frustrated often in conversations with people if people are getting really worked up about very trivial kind of things because they knew what was a more challenging kind of thing. And I think collectively, community-wide, we've got a different level of perspective on what's important, what's not, what counts a lot, what doesn't count so much. Yeah, very much so. And and as you say, I think it, it is important to recognise the... I hesitate to use the term benefit because it's not necessarily a benefit, but it's silver lining. I think it's a, it's a silver lining in terms of, you know, it's we're not in a 100% negative situation. There are certain things that we can take from it. Notwithstanding that though, Dad, it's tough. 
And there are elements of it which, you know, you can rationalise all you like, but that doesn't necessarily change how you're feeling at a really internal somatic level. So I think it'd be worth getting into a few of the tried and true resources that people can go back to, some of the measures that you found for people to be helpful over the journey. So, for example, when people are in that period of they're not necessarily thriving, they're not flourishing, but they're also not necessarily depressed or burnt out, what are some things that people can do to assist with that situation? Okay, well, the very first thing I think is to acknowledge what you're saying and acknowledge it is tough. Collectively, it's tough. Individually, it's tough. Family-wise, it's tough. It's tougher in some situations than others. Like in terms of lockdowns, for many people living in Melbourne, it's been more tough in terms of everyday life restrictions. Again, we've had milder restrictions and briefer lockdowns in Geelong generally. And certainly recognising that some people have lost loved ones or become very sick themselves and had some ongoing health problems from COVID. There's also the notion of many people having lost their jobs And many people, not necessarily having lost their jobs, but being much more restricted in their hours of work and their income, so they are barely getting by and might only be able to see ahead like a week or two to be able to manage with that time until they really need to be working again or getting some other income to get by. So it's worth acknowledging also that there are a number of people who might be even doing it tougher than us. So it can be worth at times acknowledging there can be different levels of toughness. For example, some countries where they've lost hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people have died and and presumably most people would have a loved one or someone they care about, they know about who might have died in those countries. So a lot of it's relative. But first of all, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We recognise that it's natural to be struggling in some ways and that's where, fair enough to some extent, if we say, look, it's normal to be languishing or struggling or experiencing a, a malaise in different ways. But part of acknowledging that is to remind ourselves that we've got extra challenges at the moment, extra demands. So, hey, can we cut back a bit in some of the other demands that we have? Can we lighten the load a bit? Can we cut corners a little bit? So rather than just not being able to do as much as usual or as productively, rather than feeling like we can't help but muddle through, how about we choose to muddle through? Rather than choose to blitz it or be on top of things or to feel that we're mastering things, why not simply choose to muddle through? And the way I describe that to my clients is to say, well, if you can fall flat on your face and get up again and then muddle along crawling on your knees and then you're up and you fall flat on your face and you're up again muddling along, under the circumstances, that can be a coping approach. And when you look at it from that perspective, if you've done two or three little things that day, that otherwise you might have spent an extra four hours completing some kind of project on top of that, well, it's sometimes appreciating those few things that you've done. But it also does mean that if people find that they are able to engage in some task to some degree or whatever, appreciate that, even if it's only 60% of what you'd normally do. Even if you felt that you didn't do it quite as well as you normally would, appreciate what you are doing Because you're looking at it from that different perspective where you have taken some of the pressure off. You are prepared to cut some corners. I think that's the theme of ongoing long-term stress to take some of the acute distress out of it. Give ourselves permission to muddle through. What I wonder about that then is... Although I completely agree with the, the sentiment and the idea of you know muddling through, trying to switch off a little bit. But one thing I wonder is how do you find the balance then 
between, for example, not just completely switching off. Some people may have work commitments that are still ongoing and, and that they will need to do whilst they're even in lockdown and whilst they're working from home. So how do we find the balance then between, for example, avoiding all of that stuff and going, you know, it's not good for my mental health at the moment to be engaging in those sorts of activities, but we don't want to go too far the other way and completely switch off so that we're not able to turn it back on when we need to. Yes, well, it's partly an individual thing and it's largely about a balance and there's no exact right and wrong. It's one of those kind of situations, but it's looking to be honest with ourselves about this. And actually, the way you pose that, It reminds me of a conversation I had with a client just yesterday and this very issue came up. Like, when is it going too far to cut yourself some slack, so to speak? And this person who has many different responsibilities and extra challenges at the moment described to me, oh, and the other day I was in bed till two o'clock in the afternoon. And she said it like a badge of shame, like what a terrible thing to have done. But one of the things that struck me is, well, it sounds like there were a lot of days that she wasn't in bed until two o'clock in the afternoon. Actually, it sounded like quite an exception the way she described it. And it sounded like she'd been very productive, other things that she'd done. And so I asked her a little bit more and it was clear that this was quite an exception, but she still felt that was a bit of a waste of a day. But the way that I put it to her is, look, many people are having COVID injections at the moment and like that could be a very good thing but a number of people are finding side effects that the next day they're not going to work or they're struggling a little bit more or feeling a little bit fluey I said to her it sounds to me like you had half a sick day and she said oh when you put it like that someone who clearly hadn't basically had any other sick days when you put it in that context how big a deal is that having half a sick day but one of the things we talked about briefly as well she didn't feel very satisfied about that. That didn't work quite so well, maybe, the two o'clock thing. That might be a reminder later on. Well, if you're going to have a a sleep-in or whatever, maybe you get enough of a benefit from, say, being in bed until 10 o'clock, even if it's an exception. So in other words, we're not just looking to say, oh, yeah, it's fine to sleep in until two o'clock every day. That would be out of balance. And clearly this person felt some dissatisfaction about how that had worked out but I think in the scheme of things look at the big picture look at all the things that we are doing or each of us are managing with allow for the extra challenges that we have and if we feel that we've dropped our bundle if we just dropped it for a few hours or in a somewhat exceptional way or not been so productive for a day or two well let's put that in perspective overall it's managing pretty well and that person then recognized that actually what we were talking about, it did touch on a theme of perfectionism. And often people, when they have that conscientiousness, when they have lots of caring roles and work roles and just managing with everyday life and managing a home and things like that, well, when you look at all the different things that we have to do, it's fair enough to cut yourself some slack at times and accept sometimes you might react in a way you don't like, reflecting that you're struggling. So fair enough, sometimes that'll come across in different ways. Well, it can be a little bit cliche at times, that notion of, well, it's, it's not necessarily when you drop your bundle, it's how you respond to it. And I think that's one thing that can come out of this time as well in terms of we're going to have some opportunities to respond to it in some ways. And, and what comes to mind there is back at the start of the podcast when we were talking about the character strengths, one of the elements of the creativity character strength was adaptability. And I remember thinking about that and it stood out to me as something that I wouldn't necessarily have linked back then. But 
Thinking about it now, what that suggests to me is that that adaptability can come in so many different forms. And it's likely that that level of adaptability is going to be different for all of us. I imagine for some of us, adapting is going to be taking the pressure off in some ways and maybe thinking creatively about how to do that or what that situation looks like. So yeah, to me, if there's anything that stood out from that, it's that I think that we can apply our creativity in different ways because it is going to be such an individual thing. Well, that's really interesting because I've actually never quite picked up on that link between creativity and adaptability, just like you've spelled it out there. But I'll never forget it again after you described it like that. It makes so much sense in this context. And it reminds me at the moment of how a different kind of adaptability or creativity is called for, as a number of people are describing in this fourth lockdown, like a year and a half in, after COVID, a number of people are finding that what worked at first doesn't work quite so much now. So there was that cliche of people learning to cook sourdough bread and doing different things and how that doesn't quite cut it the same way at the moment. People might not have the same level of interest or motivation and you can't expect to just do the same things that were a novelty once and they're a novelty now. So I like the way you're highlighting the adaptability And maybe there are some creative ways of not even doing quite as much as we expected to do in the first lockdown, when it was a kind of novel interest to see how we could spend our time. So, yeah, I think that emphasis on adaptability and recognising how constructive that is, even if it might not look world-beating, that's something to respect. Yeah, well, it's a funny one, and I... Just to illustrate your point, I think, about maybe the the novelty of the first lockdown being very different, I saw a very funny post on social media the other day where it was a chalkboard, you know, at the front of a pub, it must have been in England or something, and it said, 2019, all I need is two weeks at home to finish all my projects and everything, get everything super clean, 2021, no, that wasn't it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think there's a bit of that. And, you know, like, I, I'm, I'll put my hand up. I, I baked sourdough. I was one of those cliched people who thought, you know, let's do this. Let's I, did, I didn't this know a, you yeah. baked sourdough. I, I didn't see any of it. I, I did. Didn't I sent you the photos. <laughs> I was going to say, did mum not show? I was pining over my sourdough. I'm disappointed I, I would, that I didn't make it through. I would have rather it. eaten it. I've still, yeah. Lockdown, oh, no, I suppose Dad. technically. COVID yeah, safe. Okay, COVID yeah, of safe. course, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a funny one. And I wonder if, just to bring it back to the slightly more serious now, I wonder if part of the reason for that could be something that we actually spoke about in a previous episode, uh, the drive, soothing and threat, uh, seeking a synergy of systems episode that we did. And it seems to me that some of the things that we spoke about, the fight or flight system, the threat system in terms of feeling obviously threatened by the uncertainty of COVID and even some of the living situations that we found ourselves in going forward, all this sort of stuff. But now that we're, you know, however long down the line, we've been experiencing that for a little while, many of us will be in a situation where our threat system, our our limbic system, our fight or flight threat system has been switched on for a very long time. And so I wonder if you could just speak to... That a little bit in terms of is that something that's likely to be the case and what are some of the implications that could come from having our limbic system switched on for so long? 
Yes, that's an important kind of point, looking at these three systems. And so what we're relating to now is the notion of self-compassion. And the notion of self-compassion is a balance between these three systems, the threat system, a soothing system and a drive system. And one of the things about self-compassion is at first to acknowledge if we're feeling that we're struggling or unsafe or stretched or challenged. And so we've got reasons objectively to feel somewhat distressed, concerned, have some fears. It's, it's realistic to experience a challenge of the uncertainty at the moment is another aspect of it. So that's where we first of all acknowledge that vulnerability because when prolonged stress goes over a period of time, then it's going to have a different level of impact on us. It's going to tend to narrow our perspective. It's going to be harder to see the longer-term view. We are likely to experience those disruptions to our concentration, our motivation, even perhaps sleep at times in different ways. There'll be various kind of stress reactions that people have. And when people have suffered from, say, depression in the past or obsessive-compulsive disorder or had PTSD-related problems, it's also allowing that they might be somewhat amplified. I'll use a ballpark figure for many people. It's like a 30% amplification of what was there before in relation to anxiety-related kind of problems. So first of all, we acknowledge that kind of challenge. So then in the first instance, what can we do to contain the threat? Part of that is to, if you like, allow our focus to narrow somewhat to what is within our more immediate control and managing some aspect of our routines, managing some of our priorities. Also part of it is cutting back on the demands because if we cut back on the usual demands by say 20 or 30%, that gives us a little bit more resourcefulness even to just adapt and get by. Anything that we find comforting can be helpful. So some people have different kind of practices that also help with relaxation or sleep and there's keeping up with social contact and things like that can make a difference. But basically it's allowing that we are going to go through a more prolonged period of stress, that things aren't going to ease up straight away. There are some things we can do about it, including focusing on our more immediate environment and looking at our main priorities and keeping routines going. But also another thing is recognising that the threat or the greatest danger is time-bound. When you're in it, when you're in amongst like the lockdowns being called again and the restrictions and things like that, our threat systems are going to be activated all the more and it can be hard to have that longer-term perspective our perspective on time, past, present and future, we tend to get very focused on the current threat and future fears. Whereas if we also recognise that the peak stress and the peak threat will pass eventually, pandemics do end and we've got something different at this stage, they're the vaccines. The broadest thing that we can do community-wide is for as many people as possible to be vaccinated to contain the threat and then that is likely to lead to more freedoms and lesser restrictions down the track that are going to help as well. So that's objectively something we can do about it and to greatly reduce the risk of serious illness and death is is one of the things there. But part of it is to recognise that peak distress and threat will pass. Lockdowns will finish. Like we have had, say, four lockdowns. There have been four lockdowns and extended ones at times in Melbourne, but they're likely to be finished tomorrow. The main restrictions are the most recent one at least. So these things are time-bound, and if we can look ahead to when, for example, 
a lockdown's finished. And remember what that was like in the past when we could have, say, lesser restrictions, at least for a period of time. And if we can have some notion to looking beyond the pandemic, like looking at, say, three, four years' time, for example, we don't know exactly what will be happening in one year, but in three years there's every likelihood it'll be managed at a very different level with vaccines and hopefully herd immunity and the rest of it. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a tough one. It's As you were speaking there, what came to mind for me was a quote that we've spoken about before from Leonardo da Vinci, actually. Uh, but I think he said it was something along the lines of, you know, obstacles cannot crush me. Every obstacle must yield to stern resolve. He who is fixed to a star does not change his mind. And I think, like, certainly I'll put my hand up and say for me, and I think for everyone else as well, at the moment it's a lot harder to be fixed to a star because there's a lot more in the immediate vicinity that's, for example, uncomfortable, that it takes a little bit more conscious thought to not, for example, focus on so much. So to me, that's one thing that comes across there. And, and I heard something that someone said the other day where they, I might have even been on a movie or something, and, and someone had said, oh, you know, I just went for a walk to clear my head. And it almost struck me because, you know, this was after a couple of weeks being in lockdown, and I remember thinking oh, walks don't even necessarily clear your head anymore. It's almost as if you go for a walk and it, it buffers your head. It sort of gives you a bit of space from sort of where you were beforehand, but you're going back to the exact same environment many of the times to do the exact same thing. So it can be hard to remove yourself from the perspective that you were in beforehand at a, a really definitive level. So what I wonder then there is... Is it a case of, for example, going back to the, the soothing elements that we know? We spoke about the soothing system last time. Or is there going to be certain things that, for example, we, we don't get the same, I suppose, return on investment in terms of the, the length of time that we'd normally go for a walk and get X benefit for maybe we won't get the same amount of benefit at the moment. So is there anything else that we can do to maybe boost or bolster the soothing element of things? Okay, look, I think basically it's a bit of experimenting. We can look a bit at what is tried and true. Like for some people it will be jogging or meditation or catching up with certain friends or favourite TV shows to some extent, but mixing it up a little bit in some other kind of ways. But I think the main thing is if we've got some kind of way of lowering our arousal level, for some people it'll be having a bath, it could be catching up with particular friends that you know that you normally have a laugh with or feel more relaxed with. And for many people, it will be physical exercise of some form. And I think one of the main things is recognising that if we're doing things to look to give ourselves a break in some way, if we're doing something for ourselves to look to comfort ourselves in some way, or those that we share a house with or live with or our loved ones doing things also for other people a little kindness it might just be getting a cup of tea it might be helping people with a certain kind of task but just doing things that are of some benefit to ourselves particularly and also to others and just notice those little efforts that we're making and not expecting it to have to make the world of difference but just by considering the things that we might do to de-stress and looking to use a bit of our own formula, what's worked a bit in the past but adapting it a bit, experimenting with different things. But a lot of it, I think, is just also recognising that the challenges are time-bound, not expecting things to have to work quite as well as they have at times in the past. 
I was actually doing an interview for my podcast this morning, Dad, and, and doing an interview with Ronsley Vaz, who we both know, and, and he had this uh, great story about uh, the Viking leaders of the past, and he spoke about uh, the way that, you know, all across the world there was different kinds of leaders in terms of you might have the Roman legions being led by someone at the back, whereas for the Vikings, much like I think the Berserkers and others, uh, the kings, I think, in, in sort of Eng- early English times, they would be up the front with their soldiers and their comrades going into battle. But one of the things that the Viking leaders did before going into battle, so, you know, you talk about times of peak stress, well, going into a war, that's you know, got to be right up there. What they would do is they would remove themselves from the rest of the soldiers, from the rest of the army, and they would essentially go and live in the forest for a, you know, 20 days, 40 days, however long it took, but they would essentially spend some time away from everyone else with themselves and they would figure out all the things that they would need to, they would get all the requisite thinking that they needed to done, but they did that away from the, I suppose, hustle and bustle is, is how I very much took that. And I think it's something that we don't necessarily have a lot of in our society is that ability to really step back and particularly when a lot of people are working from home, for example, you can, for example, be working over one side of the room and then it can be the end of the day and so you move your three metres and switch to home mode. <laughs> and so that can be quite tough to do that. And so to me, what stood out from that story is if we can find a way somehow to disconnect or remove ourselves from the hustle and bustle of the situation that we're in now. And as you say, I think it's something that it's, it's a little bit harder to do in many ways at the moment. We can't go on holiday. We can't, you know, go to live sport. For me, that was something that would always be a bit of a disconnect that way. But if we can find something, and even if it's allowing ourselves a bit of extra time to even just, you know, see where our nose takes us and, you know, see what we do spend our time on when we're at home, not necessarily put so much pressure on to, you know, not be bored or, or whatever it is. You know, we, we can use this time as a bit of an opportunity, I think, to kind of go, you know what, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a free hit in some ways. I am going to have an opportunity to drop the bundle a little bit and, you know, look to how I respond to that. But it can also be an opportunity to take a bit of distance from everything and go, hold on, what, you know, what are the things that work for me? You know, yeah, I use the metaphor, go off into the forest and and work out what you need to work out. I like that, go off into the forest, and I relate to it very strongly. As you know, one of my favourite activities is kayaking. And Kayaking and being out in the middle of Cryo Bay, for example, that's often where I've found in the past have come up with some of my more creative ideas. When I've been writing in the past, I've often found that's where next thoughts come. It's almost like being in a meditative space. And I suppose it's not that different from the idea of a number of people have apparently taken up jogging for the first time through COVID because they found that was the time for a start they were allowed to get out of home, but they're also having that solitary time. And I find sometimes like going jogging, like being in the shower, different creative ideas can come to you more in some settings than others. And for me, it is like kayaking, jogging, having a shower would be examples of that. I think something that you're talking about there is the notion of going within. I think it really helps if we've got different kind of ways of going within. And people can do that if you're reading a book in a separate room or it could be just 
lying back on your bed, having a rest and just allowing yourself to, well, just rest or have a quiet contemplation about things. We can even be in a house full of people and still find some ways or some space to have a little bit of time for ourselves. And what I gather from what you're saying is there are also ways that people can reset in some way with doing that. And I think also for some people it's a way of recharging their batteries. For me, some of that solitary time I know is a way of recharging my batteries. And I think that's part of the theme of self-soothing, whatever recharges your batteries. And I'm quite happy to do something like that too, go kayaking on my own for a period of time or go for a jog, that kind of thing. But I think to recognise that even apart from the idea of recharging your batteries, having little periods of time of quiet contemplation or reflection can help and hopefully this podcast stimulates some of that kind of thinking for people listening. And then, Dad, I suppose to look at the the third system, the, the drive system, is there anything that we can take from the drive system that is going to assist us at the moment or is it going to be something where it's maybe best to maybe to even turn off the drive system or look to possibly turn off the drive system where we can or are there elements of our drive system that we can look to for assistance in this time okay like again I think it comes back to a balance but I suppose what we're talking about with lightening the load we're talking about winding back the drive system a bit rather than being as fully pressured to do things take on as much demands feeling that we have to achieve in the usual kind of way in a way what we're suggesting is to reduce some of the demands, so compensating for the extra threat and allowing a little bit more time for soothing, we're saying, hey, how about pulling back a bit on that drive system? But we're not saying cut it out or stop it or let it go entirely because, for example, when people did bake sourdough bread, and yourself, that's part of a drive system as well. It's, it's part of a motivation and learning and that kind of thing. More of a crash system, though, with the sourdough. <laughs> okay, well, well, but but anything that people found that engaged them will often have been some kind of productive activity. They might have been um, cooking a barbecue or they might have been experimenting with something else with cooking or they might have been still working from home and finding ways that some spaces worked a bit better for them or some routines worked a bit better for them. That's all great. That's part of the drive system. And one of the things is when we find ourselves engaged in certain kind of activities that are going okay, we feel that we're achieving something, we might have taken some expectations back a bit or or decided to take a bit of pressure off, but still we feel that we were somewhat productive, that helps us be in a state of flow. So often with our work activities, we might be working on a project for a period of time and you look back and you realise you know, maybe more than an hour has passed and you've actually done something quite constructive. Or maybe at the end of the day, you can at least tick off a few tasks that you were looking to achieve. That's all part of the drive system. So part of what we're talking about too is anything that helps our sense of flow, that means that we're engaged in things. So time's passing and we're not necessarily feeling good, bad or indifferent. We're kind of that immersed in what we're doing. We're engaged in what we're doing so time passes. That's very helpful. That could be doing something pleasant. It could be also physical exercise or enjoying some leisure activity. But also often it will be some kind of task or work activity. So our drive systems are important and it relates to what we have set out to do that particular day. But I think the whole thing 
as we're highlighting today, is to be able to temper that somewhat, just to allow ourselves to be a little bit more flexible with our standards. But that doesn't mean having to think, oh, we've just got to drop our bundle, there's nothing I can do because I'm over it. And it's something that we've spoken about before, not for a little while, but, uh, but that emphasis that we've had on achievement in our society too. I think if we look at this period of time as even maybe an opportunity to learn something about ourselves, we can still contribute towards work, we can still contribute towards something even if it's not necessarily being at your computer doing work, if that makes sense. We can still gain something from this time which is going to benefit us professionally even if that's not as direct as, as it normally would be. Well, funnily enough, as you say that, I think of us sitting here, we've had over 40 episodes now. Hey, we might not have been doing this podcast if it wasn't for COVID and lockdown. It started off as a lockdown podcast. So just as you were saying that, I think, well, there's a huge silver lining for us. And it doesn't mean that things are always smooth or easy, but by the same token, it's a project that's developed in a way that probably would not have developed as much or as far if it weren't for those circumstances. And I suppose that relates to one other thing I'd like to say about drive. And that is that if over the past year or so, we found that we have engaged in some kind of project or activity, if we have found a part of our work life or something that we're doing as a hobby or something has drawn our attention and engaged us for quite a period of time, wow, that says a lot about how meaningful it is to us. There must be a lot about that activity that's relevant to our sense of purpose or meaning, to have kept us consistently at it or as engaged in it or as interested in it. So if people were to reflect on over the last year or so, what's something that you've done and at times even spontaneously done or repeatedly chosen to do over and above what you normally would have expected to do and got some satisfaction out of it? That must be something related to some extent to a fairly strong sense of drive or purpose or meaning because under the circumstances it's hard to explain in another way how you would have kept that up and just before you finish dad i think it'd be worth uh, i know you've got a great metaphor about bamboo that i think it would be worth you mentioning before we, we finish up so do you want to just mention the relevance of bamboo to today's episode well to me it gets back to the notion of strength and so Part of what we realise today is for psychological strength that helps to accept being vulnerable, that we can be hurt, we can be impacted in different ways, but we can also be touched. But the capacity to be hurt and the capacity to be touched in a positive kind of way is like a flip side of the same coin, like we're not robots. So that's one notion of psychological strength is accepting our vulnerability. It's not saying, oh, I'm beyond that, I'm not vulnerable, I'm so strong. So the kind of strength we're looking for psychologically is the strength of bamboo. Even in a storm, bamboo will bend, but it will not break. It might bend a lot, it might bend repeatedly, but it'll come back to that kind of original position having demonstrated its resilience. That's the kind of strength we're after, that's the kind of resilience we're after, recognising that things can impact on us, but having a way that it doesn't break us, that's being like bamboo. Yeah, I like that analogy, and I'd almost take it one step further in terms of the thing that we have that bamboo doesn't have is that notion from Friedrich Nietzsche, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. 
So we're, as you say, a bit like bamboo. We can we can bend and, and snap back to the original position, but every time we bend and snap back, the position that we snap back to is stronger than the one that we bent from, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I like that analogy, and I'd almost take it further in that we've got something extra. Yes, well, that gets back to the theme of the hero's journey, doesn't it? That's a real theme there. You can absolutely struggle and feel afraid and not see how you're going to get through something, but you can get through something, and then there's the learning, and there's no doubt that there's a lot of learning we've already gone through and will still continue to add to with this, and through that learning, there's going to have to be a fair bit of growth. Well, thanks so much for chatting to me about all this today, Dad. As I said at the start, look, I must admit, I I found this period of lockdown a bit harder than the previous ones. And I wonder if that's, you know, we're we're back at it and, you know, looking forward. There is still that uncertainty and all this sort of stuff. But if there's one thing that, you know, I really take, it's that it is an opportunity to learn so much more about ourselves in that, you know, hopefully going forward, we will never find ourselves in a collective position of stress like this again. And so we're going to learn about ourselves individually. We'll learn about our friends and those around us and and how many more limits that we have in terms of how much further we can go uh, beyond the point of saying I'm over it. That's one thing that I've really taken from this time. So, yeah, and, and again, it just comes back to that notion that I spoke about earlier. Of For me, it's that idea that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You know, we might feel a sense of grief and loss at this time, but the level of, of appreciation and and even, you know, love for the way that things return to normal when they do, it's just going to give us a richness that we just would not have had any concept of otherwise as a collective. Absolutely. And one of the things that strikes me now is we're not going to really recognise how much this has impacted on us also in terms of a learning way until it's another five or ten years down the track, it would seem to me. Like, we're still in it at the moment, so we can't really have that most objective view of how things unfold in the long run. But I think it will be really interesting to see about five years down the track, look back and think of collectively, have we gained some extra things as a culture? Maybe something about our capacity to draw on stoicism to an extent look i do want to mention one other aside i think uh you deserve a a mention for this with your individuation podcast that's something you've just developed over the last couple of months and you mentioned leonardo earlier on i particularly enjoyed the leonardo episode of your podcast individuation so people might be interested to check that out as well individuate oh uh, i'll just point out as well dad so uh good to uh, know that you've been tuning in and following along like i trusted that you were no of course i must admit i've made that mistake myself but uh for those out there interested uh individuate is the podcast and we'll put the uh the link up for that on today's episode page at uh, sykespeels.com.au along with all the other resources for today's episode Oh, I got that wrong. I'll have to cut <laughs> myself some slack. I've listened exactly. to every episode. I enjoy it. Oh, well, I think it, uh, we've got to take our own medicine with this one, Dad. So uh, this week of all weeks, I'll let you off the hook. See you next time, Rowan. <laughs>